be honest with you, I haven't been worried about when the decision's going to be made or, or any of that timeline-wise. Just try to put my head down and handle it one day at a time. And that, that's been the mindset for both Sam and I, is just how can we be playing the best ball by the end of camp and, and just handle it correctly? Because uh, I've said it before, you know, the locker rooms and the, and the organizations go as the QB room goes. And as long as we're leading correctly and we're, you know, supporting each other, good things are going to happen. So we're, we're not worried about when that's going to happen, just uh, trying to get better each day. I felt good. You know, felt like I got a, a bunch of good work in, but um, I definitely I feel good and right on track to, you know, be doing what I want to be doing. I'm not going to put a timetable on it. You know, I'm just going out there doing my, my work, trusting the process that we have. Um, I know that I'm able to go out there and function at a high level right now. So whatever it feels like, hopefully, you know, continues to keep getting better as it has. And But I know that functionally, I feel like I can do everything I need to do. All of the sun, none of the fun on the Press Box Summer Edition. So Darren Waller came back to practice on Wednesday, returning from a hamstring injury, but then mispracticed on Thursday. Big deal or not a big deal? I think it's kind of a big deal. I think he, and I'll go with what Q said, from what we could see, uh, the day before, he looked fine. He was running routes. He was catching balls. He didn't look like if it was a hamstring, which had been reported before, it looked like he was fine. Yeah. So I don't know why you'd miss the next day unless you tweaked it again and, you know, you felt something, which could very well be the case. But I, I think it's – I don't know if it's a small deal that you come back and you play and then you go out. Even if it's not – even if it's not holding in, it might be bad news that the hamstring wasn't healed and, and he did something again to it, so which on is the, not a good deal. So on the injury side – Right. I do think it's possible that this is some sort of like injury management plan that the Raiders plan to have him come back for a day and then maybe take a day off. I think that's entirely possible. Also, like you said, it's possible that he tweaked his hamstring again or something didn't feel right or whatever. And they were like, all right, let's take another day off and be careful with this. That's the injury side of things. Um, The other side of this. Is he holding in? Like, is like, is that a possibility? Because I think it would be hilarious if he missed about two weeks with a hamstring injury, came back for one day, showed everybody, look, I'm fine. And then immediately started holding in the next day. I think that would be a very funny move yeah, from Darren Waller. I don't, I don't think that's it. I mean, I look like you said, and you said, I think it's fair to how, hold everything open for speculation at this point. Cause he missed so much time and yeah. he came back for a day and left. So I'm not saying that's a silly argument. I mean, there's very well, a possibility that could be it. I just think, I think it's more to do with the injury without knowing anything and nobody does know anything, but I don't think either way, like you said in the beginning of this segment, I don't think it's a good look either way. Either he hurt himself again, or like you said, he might be holding it either way. That's not good. It's yeah. not good for the team. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious to see what happens. I am hopeful that I see him at the aces game on Saturday. That's going to be great if he's there, right? Like, that's going to be a phenomenal story if he's at the Aces game. Yeah, because, not, not on the road in right. Miami. Well, there's no way he's playing in this preseason and th- game. That's the other thing. we got to see who they take also because, I it, put it this way, if he's not playing, which he's not, um, I don't think he'd be the only one left home, right? I don't right. think he's the only one not getting on the plane. Right. That would not make sense at all. Like, Josh Jacobs, you're not playing, but we're going to put you on a plane and take you like four or five hours in a plane ride to Miami. That, right. that doesn't make any sense. The the car, Adams, Renfro, maybe Jacobs, Colton yeah, Miller. I mean, that's a long combo. trip if you know they're not playing. Right. Um if those like if those guys are on the sideline not playing, 
and Darren Waller's at the Aces game. Then that's a story. That would be hilarious. Yeah. If none of those guys are playing and none of those guys show up, right? They're not on the sideline during the game and Waller's at the Aces game. I I don't have any problem with it. No. Be, like I was pushing for it last week and then it happened, which was great that he should skip the preseason game for it. I, I in all seriousness, I, if if he's not getting on the plane to go to Miami, he should be at the Aces game and I I think he yeah. I think he will. Be. I think he will be. So I would I will love to see that because I don't think that's that big of a story that he's at the Aces game instead of a preseason. Well, not game. if there's other guys who stay home. Right. And if other guys stay home, I think it's perfectly fine. But people will make it somewhat of a story sure. that Darren, especially, especially because he missed practice yesterday. Yes. I think that, that part of it sort of raises your eyebrows a little bit to be like, all right, what exactly is happening with Darren? Waller? and it might be as innocent as, Hey, came back, felt something, didn't feel a hundred percent, took a day off and he wasn't going to play anyway. So he's going to the aces game and it's not a big deal, but it's just, it's a little weird and we don't get actual information from Josh McDaniels. I think is the, the other key in this whole scenario is that McDaniels is not out here saying exactly what it is, right? McDaniels isn't out here because he talked before practice yesterday, right? Yes, he talked before practice. He could have very easily been like, hey, guys, Darren Waller's going to take the day off. We're... Oh, he's not going to do that. Right, but he could have very easily that. been yeah. like, he's going to take the day off. We're you know slowly working him back from his injury right. or something. Very easily could have said that, and none of this is even a conversation, right? It's like, oh, okay, that's the plan. But... He doesn't say that, doesn't say anything at all. So it leads to a level of speculation at the end of the day. So it's fun. I uh, I enjoy this whole Darren Waller saga that at the end of the day is probably going to be nothing at all. Now, who do you think actually plays in Miami for the Raiders? I don't think if you haven't played them in the first two games, why would you play them now? I think he's made a decision on Renfro, Adams, Waller, Carr. I think that because you're never going to play him in the last game. Obviously, that, nobody plays in the last game except really guys who are on the bubble trying to make a team. What happens if they only play in the last game? <laughs> that would be completely stupid because you're going to get two practices against the Patriots. That's yeah. where their time comes in, yeah. those practices. So normally when teams used to have four preseason games, when everybody used to have four, right, the third one was generally the the one the starters played the most right. in. Most teams play three. The Raiders obviously have four because the Hall of Fame game this year. So it would make sense if they were going to play. Well, it would be this one. Right. This would be when they would happen. We have seen um, some comments. Tua has come out and said that he really wants to play this Saturday for the Dolphins. Uh, Mike McDaniel, their head coach, has kind of he kind of hinted at it, being like, eh, we'll see who we play uh, type thing. So there's a chance that Tua and the Dolphins starters actually play on Saturday. And I wonder, if you're the Raiders, does that make you any more likely to play your starters? I don't think Josh McDaniels cares what other people are doing. I'm guessing he doesn't either. I think you're probably happy they play Tua for like the secondary. Like they keep playing Jonathan Abram and Trayvon Merrick right, and stuff right. like that. You're no, probably, I think you want them to play Tua. Right. That way Absolutely. you get a, you get a good bit. look at the varsity quarterback. <laughs> what a strange phrase. That's a very weird for strange Tomlin by Mike to Tomlin. We want to see like, we want to see Kennedy in the varsity. Like does that mean do you think he refers to his practice squad as junior varsity? And like, freshman? Yeah, does like the third string of the freshman? <laughs> Does the, he, the undrafted are the freshmen. Yeah, does he yeah. walk in and he's like, all right, the JV's running some plays. The Ravens are going to run this week. <laughs> yeah. Get ready to You're go, the, Varsity. JV's are the scout team. <laughs> like, I hope he just does that because that's a ridiculous thing to say. But I'm I'm thinking Tua's going to play, which the Raiders is probably not going to impact anything they do, at least offensively. Uh, probably will you know, make them a little more likely to keep their defensive guys in as long as Tua plays there. 
but I'm guessing that they don't play anybody uh, that hasn't already played, right? The offensive line is still going to be... No. I if, assume they're like, playing all those guys except Colton Miller. Like, let's take Max Crosby. If you've seen Max Crosby in practice, there's absolutely no reason he should be playing in the game. Well, Q said, is it Max Crosby or is it the offensive line? Maybe you do need to see him against uh, a real offensive Max line. Max Crosby's looked pretty good. <laughs> yeah, but we still don't know <laughs> who the starters are. He had two sacks yesterday. He had a tackle for loss. He had a... They, they had a bad day for Derek Carr. He threw his first pick. Of the, oh, uh, first man. pick of the training camp. Nate Hobbs got him. Jarrett Stidham time. Yeah, Nate Hobbs got him. Yeah, he was. It was a bad day. Now, I'll say this for Derek Carr: is a bad day more so for the offensive line because every time he looked up, there was somebody in his face. So, Brandon Parker hurt. I'm assuming he's not going to play because he has not been back at practice. Thayer Munford uh, missed he practice yesterday. Two after, days ago, after limping off two days ago. I, I'm going to guess he doesn't play either. Maybe he does. No. Maybe he's fine, but I'm going to guess he doesn't. So Alex Leatherwood starts at right tackle and wins the job before week one. You know, who has been playing a lot of right tackle at practice has been Jermaine Elmanor. He's been playing a lot of right tackle. Jermaine Elmanor wins the job before week one. I mean, I, I'm with Q. I really want to see where if Alex Leatherwood again goes he to the play second, the second half. half, then they've sent a serious <laughs> message to Alex Leatherwood. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be the case, but what if it is? Oh, uh, that's not very good. No, it's not very good at all. No. So I, no, uh, it's it's an interesting, interesting week. Especially it, a lot of the intrigue comes from McDaniel's not saying anything, right? Like that's where a yeah. lot of this comes from. Like, what's wrong with Brandon Parker? What's wrong with Thayer Munford? Who do you want to start on the offensive line? He like those are questions that he doesn't say anything about, right? So a lot of the intrigue comes into trying to just read their, you know, who's the starters or who's running with the ones in practice, and then what when who plays and when do they play in the preseason right. game? And so when Alex Otherwood doesn't play to the second half against Minnesota, you're like, oh, that's yeah. not good. But now Thayer Munford's out too. Brandon Parker could be out. Who's who's starting at right tackle? If it's Alex Otherwood, then probably got a shot at starting. If it's not Alex Leatherwood, he probably doesn't have a legitimate right. shot at starting and goes back to the same thing. We've been asking for six, seven months. Now they're going to sign anybody else. They're going to trade for anybody else to. to play. Like they have to, if you, if especially they, now, especially now, you know, they said they had depth, which you didn't know if it was quality depth, but now if guys are getting hurt, then you have to sign yeah. someone, no matter how good they are. You've got to, if your numbers are starting to dwindle, cause guys are getting hurt. You have to go sign yeah. somebody. Yesterday he signed you know, defensive tackle. They're signing guys at different spots. <laughs> Every time I see the headline, the Raiders sign, I'm thinking like offensive Ooh. lineman, offensive tackle, and it's never that position. So if they go, they, at some point, I know Josh McDaniel's like, well, I haven't said who the starters are, but at some point early in the off season, he assumed he was going to have Denzel good. He retired at a certain point early in the preseason. It looked like Brandon Parker was going to be the starting right, right tackle. He gets He's hurt. hurt. Thayer Munford then gets some snaps there. He gets He's hurt. hurt. Right. And now how serious are Parker and Munford remains to be seen, right? Maybe they're both fine for week one, but like you've now had a guy retire and two injuries of potential right tackles. And Alex sure. Leatherwood still starting for, in the right. second half. For an offensive line that was already going to be bad. There's just right. it's it's unreal that they have not brought in somebody else. It's it's just unbelievable that they have not brought in right. anybody else. To even try to be like, oh, are you better than Alex Leatherwood? Are you better than Jermaine Elmanor or Thayer Munford or any of these guys? It's incredible that that has not happened yet. And I'm still going to assume they do it, but we continue to get closer and closer to week one with no new offensive linemen. So it's still sort of a yeah. wondering game of, okay, 
Is it Alex Leatherwood? Is it Thayer Munford? And until then, we'll see. All right, coming up next, it's Bischoff's Briefs. Bischoff's Briefs. How was the game? Not very good. Have you ever seen a good hockey game? No, me neither. I love sports. I just can't get next to hockey. Bischoff's Briefs. See, I think Americans like to savor situations. One down, bottom of the ninth, one run game, first and third, left-handed batter, right-hand reliever, infield, a double play depth. Here's the pitch. Bischoff's Briefs. Scoring in hockey, it seems to come out of nowhere. The play-by-play guy is always shocked. Le Petier passes to Huckenshuck, who skates past the blue line. Huckenshuck, of course, was traded from Winnipeg for a case of Labatt's after sitting out last season with, oh my God, he scores! Bischoff's Briefs. UNLV basketball just released their non-conference schedule for this season. Uh, I'm going to have to do a bigger breakdown on this coming up, um, I guess, on Monday since it's Friday here. But initial reaction, this schedule is brutal, and UNLV will not be going to the NCAA tournament unless they go essentially undefeated or one loss through their non-conference Or win their conference tournament. Or that. Uh, I'll run through the teams real quick. Southern Incarnate Word, Dayton, High Point. Then they go to California to play Southern Illinois and one of Minnesota or Cal Baptist. Life Pacific. Is that an insurance company? I think so. I have no idea what that is. They go to San Diego. The only true road game is at San Diego. They will play Hawaii at the Dollar Loan Center in Henderson, Washington State at MGM Grand Garden Arena, and then San Francisco and Southern Miss to round out the schedule. Uh, there are, I believe, only three teams on that schedule that were top 100 in Ken Palm last that year. That is not impressive. I'll have to double-check that, but Dayton, San Francisco, and Washington State were all pretty good last year, uh, but the rest of those teams, I think, were all bad. That is not impressive. Uh, yeah. In any way. So that Surpri- is a... you got to be surprised. Yeah, that's a bad well, schedule. Well, we knew a lot of them, but we also said he had two or three spots left, so let's wait. You know, let's wait before judging it because he could have come up with, you know... You know, high power fives or majors like, okay, I get it. Then, you know, last year they got Michigan in that tournament and stuff like that. Yeah. But this is what he filled it out with. The new ones that we didn't know were Southern, who's not any good. Uh, Life Pacific, who's not Division One, uh, Hawaii, Washington State, and Southern Miss. So he had five spots to fill from what we knew publicly. And there's only one actual good team of those five new spots. And that is Washington, Washington State. State. So that's a bad schedule. So... Uh, here's what I wanted to do for Bischoff's brief today. A little, here's your, here's your way too deep breakdown on some games against Canadian teams. So first off, we are going to go back to last season, UNLV's loss in the Mountain West tournament to Wyoming. UNLV had the ball down one point in the final 15 seconds of that game. And UNLV ran a play that had become Kevin Kruger's favorite play late in that season. Here's the setup of the play. Bryce Hamilton got a ball screen from Justin Webster. And the main idea of this play was that Justin Webster could shoot threes after setting the screen. That way teams would not double team or trap Bryce Hamilton off the ball screen. This was a way to keep the defense honest 
when there was a ball screen for Bryce Hamilton. So it would give him a little bit of a space for him to attack. And if you doubled him, he could get it to Justin Webster for an open three. The other part of this play, they would put Donovan Williams in the near side corner. So if Hamilton drove and you helped off the corner, he could kick it out. And Donovan Williams was shooting 44% from three last year. They also put Royce Ham at the weak side block. So if Bryce Hamilton drove and you helped off a Royce Ham, you could dump it to Royce Ham and he could get a layup right at the rim. The one flaw in this play is that Keyshawn Gilbert was the backside corner, right? He was spacing the floor by being in the backside corner. Keyshawn Gilbert doesn't shoot or didn't shoot a lot of threes last year. He only took 25 all season. He only made 28% of them, right? It's a good play, right? A lot of good options, but there is that one sort of hole, and that was Keyshawn Gilbert as three-point shooter. So in that last 15 seconds, final play for UNLV down one, Wyoming, what they did They trapped Bryce Hamilton off the ball screen, and they sent early help. The guy that's supposed to be guarding Keyshawn Gilbert completely left Keyshawn Gilbert to go guard Justin Webster and keep him from shooting a three. Meanwhile, Donovan Williams and Royce Ham's uh, men just stuck to them. So Wyoming took away the top four options on that play, and UNLV did a good job to get it to Keyshawn Gilbert, who was open, but the season came down to 28% three-point shooter Keyshawn Gilbert shooting a three. He missed UNLV, lost the game. Keep that in mind because UNLV's first exhibition game against British Columbia, they're down five with 30 seconds left, so not the exact same scenario. But Kevin Kruger called a timeout, drew up the same exact play they ran at the end of that game against Wyoming. This time it was Jackie Johnson, who was the Bryce Hamilton. He's the one with the ball in his hands. Justin Webster still set the screen. Luis Rodriguez took Donovan Williams' spot in the corner. UNLV was playing small, so they didn't have a big on the floor, so Elijah Parquet was in the Royce Ham spot. But the problem is that the same guy is in that weak side corner. Keyshawn Keyshawn Gilbert Gilbert. is still the guy in the corner, a guy that did not shoot very many threes, did not shoot well from three last season. Maybe Keyshawn Gilbert has improved his three-point shooting. He's knocked some down in these scrimmages. That remains to be seen. They ran that play. Ultimately, British Columbia didn't trap Jackie Johnson. He got into the paint and missed the layup at the end of the day. It didn't end up going to Keyshawn Gilbert. But that, I think, is the entire problem with UNLV's offseason. They ran a play, a good play, right, at the end of that game against Wyoming that had a lot of good options for them to get a quality look. But Wyoming was able to take advantage of the one flaw that was on the floor, and that was Keyshawn Gilbert's three-point shooting. They took advantage of that. They forced the ball there, and that's the shot that Wyoming wanted UNLV to take. Kevin Kruger had an entire offseason. He did not build a roster to fix that problem. That problem still exists in that single play, that he has to have a bad shooter on the floor, spacing the floor, right? He did not fix that in the offseason. And even worse, instead of Bryce Hamilton coming off the ball screen, It's Jackie Johnson, who granted, I think is going to be a good player for them this year, but he's not Bryce Hamilton and Donovan Williams shot 44% from three last year. Luis Rodriguez, not a good three point shooter at Ole Miss before he transferred here, right? So you lost your number one ball handler. You also lost your best three point shooter. And I'm not sure they came anywhere close to replacing them. Then they're even worse than, than what they were because they, they didn't, they didn't get a player as good or better than Bryce Hamilton or did they get a player as good or better than Donovan Williams? I don't believe that they did. Maybe they're Elijah Hart trouble offensively. Be. Right. And so here's the thing. Kevin Kruger will be able to call different plays 
that fits skill sets better, right? He's not going to run all the same stuff for Jackie Johnson that he did for Bryce Hamilton, right? There's going to be different plays. There's going to be new plays. But at the end of the day, they still have a lot of the same flaws that they had last year offensively. Three-point shooting. Right. And they're probably, like you said, going to be worse because Bryce Hamilton so often bailed them out last Mm -hmm. season. When you don't have a lot of good three-point shooters, it's very hard to run a good, efficient offense because, like in that example against Wyoming, you can just double-team off of those guys. You can just say, okay, your season's on the line. Keyshawn Gilbert, 28% three-point shooter, that's the guy we're leaving. That's the guy that's going to have to beat us. And more than likely, UNLV is going to play a lot this year with a 28% three-point shooter spacing the floor in the corner or in the wing. Regardless of what play they're running, they're probably going to have that because they're not going to be, most likely, not going to be a great three-point shooting team this season. Do you think this team has a chance to break the streak? The three-point no, streak? No, they no, shoot, no, they're, they're no. always going to make one. They, Marvin Menzies had a team when Marvin Menzies, A, didn't have his guys shoot very many three-pointers, and B, had like one good three-point shooter on the entire team. And they, they still, still kept the streak they still alive. Kept it alive. Right. That's all that's important. Yeah. So they they shoot they will shoot plenty of threes that it it won't matter. They'll they'll probably have a game or two where like, uh oh, they're going in the second half 0 for eight from three. Oh for oh, 10. Yeah, yeah. They'll have but one of those. Someone's gonna one. make a three. Yeah. It's it's almost impossible to not make a three in college basketball these days. Like it's all like you've gotta be dreadful and completely ignore the shot. So they'll make one. Streak will be fine. Now the streak of them not going to the NCAA tournament, that's going to continue. <laughs> I don't 2013, think. 2013. 2013 was the last yeah, time. I don't think they're going to be that good. And I think Kevin Kruger just made a schedule to win games, not to get to the NCAA yeah. tournament. I, I honestly think that's what happened here. That's a win game schedule. Yeah. Because when you like you look at this schedule, Southern at home, Incarnate Word at home. Those should be two blowouts. Then they play Dayton at home. That'll be a fun one to see how good UNLV is. But then High Point at home. That's three of their first four are scheduled wins at home. Then they go to this um, Capistrano, whatever the hell it is. Southern so- California. SoCal, whatever it is, <laughs> right? Southern Illinois, they might lose that one, but it's not a great team. And then Minnesota. They could lose that. Maybe. And Cal Baptist is bad, right? Then they come back for Cal or Life Pacific. Bad team. We're not scheduled sure what win. that is. They go I to, looked it up. They go to San Diego, right? Oh, for... Um... Lavin's first year, they won't be. It's on good. the road, but it's yeah. that, that's a scheduled yeah. win. Hawaii and Washington State at a neutral site. Hawaii, I, I yeah. wouldn't call them scheduled wins, but they're not. Hawaii is not exactly good. Well, and you're not going to their place, right? And then San Francisco at home, that's like Dayton, a good team at home. I think that'll be a good sort of how good is UNLV. Southern Miss is a terrible basketball program. There's no chance they're any good coming here. That is more than half their schedule is a scheduled win for UNLV. So I think Kevin Kruger built this schedule out to win games, to have a 20-win season, not to have a NCAA tournament right. spot because that's it's just not good enough. That that schedule, if you were trying to go to the NCAA tournament, that schedule is not good no. enough. Like, it's it's not. No, it's, they're going to have to overachieve in conference. Yeah, you're going to, like, Wyoming last year had a terrible yeah. non-conference but schedule, but I think they went really undefeated. really good in conference. Yeah, I think they were undefeated in the non-conference schedule. Right. So, if you, like, if UNLV goes, what is that, 13 games, I think? If UNLV goes, like, 12-1, and one, Right, and they blow a lot of these teams out, then absolutely they'll have an NCAA tournament resume. But we've talked about this all the time in the Mountain West. UNLV, 
is one of the few schools that can actually schedule big-time yes, teams. them and San Diego State. And when they don't take advantage of it, right. I think it says a lot about what the coach yeah. thinks of his team. And I don't think Kevin Kruger thinks he has an NCAA tournament-level team based on his schedule. Because if he thought he had an NCAA tournament-level team, you're not scheduling Southern Miss, Southern Incarnate Word, and High Point, and Life Pacific. And Life Pacific. Right? You're just not scheduling. that. That's five games. You're going to have some scheduled wins. But that's almost half your schedule against just atrocious teams and then Southern Illinois, San Diego, Hawaii. That's three more teams that aren't good. They're not God awful, but they're not good. So like that's eight of your 13 games that are not going to help you at all when it comes to the NCAA tournament. And if he thought he was going to the NCAA tournament, you'd have more good games on the schedule. All right, coming up next, Sam Gordon joins the show. As Sidney Colson dribbles it up, we'll hold on to the basketball crowd on their feet and this one will be a wrap they hold the ball and 79-63 will be the final and the aces win game number one of this one you're listening to the press box summer edition joining us now from the review journal is sam gordon good morning sam how are you today What's up, fellas? Happy Friday. How you guys doing? Good, good. good. All right, before we get to the Aces, um, have you seen UNLV's non-conference schedule, and do you have an immediate reaction to it? Yeah, I, I just I got uh, email from from our friend over at UNLV, Andy Grossman, this morning, and uh, first thought was a little weak. Um, didn't <laughs> didn't feel like it was very strong for a team um, that wants to load up and make the make the NCAA tournament, make a make a push towards the NCAA tournament. So. You know, we'll see. I mean, maybe maybe some of those teams offer some kind of surprise early in the year and we find out that they're better than they actually are. But that was my initial thought, just kind of scanning the schedule. It seemed like it was it was better this past season, 21-22, uh, than it is 22-23. Um, but we'll see what these teams are looking like and how everything shakes out this fall. I mean, who's the insurance company they're playing? <laughs> Life, yeah, right? Uh, Life, Life Pacific? Have, Danny's starting for Life Pacific at the, at the small <laughs> forward. I think I could. <laughs> I have I have absolutely no idea. That, you know that was my reaction. I thought you know given the given the way um, the team was constructed and 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 you know the goals of the program are to move things forward. You want a couple a couple swings uh, in the non conference schedule to try and make a statement. And I'm just not sure where that statement's going to come. But hey, you know if they cruise through it and go, I, you know, I didn't see exactly how many games ten and one or, or, or nine and two or whatever, or, or get off to a strong start and build some you know some some momentum for Mountain West play. Maybe that's what they're trying to do. Um, with this new roster, but it doesn't feel like uh, a lot of chances, a lot of opportunities to, to pick up really, really significant wins early on. I know uh, you wrote about this, but uh, are you impressed with how good the WNBA crowds have been for these uh, Aces last game of the regular season and first game of the postseason? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and for what it's worth, Tyler, I do think the Aces, um, it's, you know, you're not normally getting eight, nine, ten thousand 10,000 people, right? But the five or six that do show – and it's been like this kind of since the team got here in 2018. Are really committed, enthusiastic, and into it. And I really think um, you know they set a tone for for the playoffs and whatnot, and, and you know the the regular season finale. And now you have, I mean, now it's, I mean, it's a real. I think it's a real home court advantage where, where the Aces play at Michelob Ultra Arena. The fans were uh, engaged all game long, even though it wasn't the greatest game. It wasn't a ton of fireworks. Uh, certainly, the Aces didn't play particularly well, and the Mercury being as limited uh, as they are, you know, it's a testament to their defense. Uh, and their toughness that they were even able to keep that thing competitive uh, for three quarters. But it, it's a great atmosphere, and, and the players have talked about it extensively kind of throughout the course of the season, and I think you're seeing it peak now. 
uh, in the playoffs, you know, and even on Sunday with the playoffs approaching for obvious reasons. I mean, this is a team that is favored to win the championship, uh, that, that, that looks like it's playing its best basketball and rounding into form uh, at the right time, and the, and the crowd loves it. I mean, the crowd absolutely loves it. Um, you guys know this. You, know, you never know who you might see uh, from a celebrity standpoint. They've had Tom Brady, LeBron James at games before, so on and so forth. The list goes on and on, uh, and it's just a really fun atmosphere. I think I think for fo- folks that haven't been to a game to go out and to experience that, it, it's a lot of fun. I think the Aces really understand, uh, as well as any team, you know, in any league or, or you know that I've covered, um, the in-game aspect and, and how to keep fans engaged throughout the game with various promotions and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm definitely impressed. Um, not necessarily surprised, but definitely impressed. Very lively crowd the last couple games for sure. Is there a celebrity that has not come that should come? Oh, geez. Uh, I mean, Asia Wilson listed just about everybody uh, in the world uh, on Sunday. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's probably a, a long laundry list of them. But, you know, you, we, there's been a ton. I mean, you, you, again, you never know who you might see. I mean, who, like, who knows? Maybe, maybe that, that list that she did invite does pull up. And, and whoever does show up, they tend to, you know, like, the sense I get is they seem to have a pretty good time. Usually when you see NBA players courtside, you know, Trey Young, Chris Paul, Devin Booker on Sunday, really engaged, really into it. They, they tweeted out how much fun um, they had and, you know, doing their part to promote the league and, and the game and whatnot. So, yeah, yeah, whoever wants to come, I'm sure is more than welcome. The Aces defense was uh, pretty good in the second half against Phoenix. Do you take anything away from that, or is that more about uh, Phoenix being extremely depleted with their roster right now? Yeah, I think definitely a little of both. Um, you know, Phoenix, I mean, limited without Diana Taurasi, Skylar Diggins, of course, Brittany Griner, then losing Shea Petty uh, to what looked like a pretty serious leg, lower leg injury in the second half. Uh, well, Wednesday, I feel like just, you know, kind of definitely has to be de- deflating. But nonetheless, this is an Aces team, right, where, where we saw long stretches during the regular season where, where they, just, they just weren't in sync. There was a lot of miscommunications, uh, a lot of, you know, slow rotations, just not, a, not the kind of effort you want to see, especially – when you're trying to establish, you know, a baseline um, under a, a first-year head coach. But, but to the Aces' credit and to Becky Hammond's credit, uh, I thought they've really rounded into form in the second half. And, and even though Phoenix didn't have much, uh, didn't have much available in terms of scoring on Wednesday, the Aces still made it really, really hard for them. Uh, I think throughout the course of the game, like you said, especially in the second half when it was time, uh, when it was really go time for the Aces, Phoenix just couldn't score. They just couldn't respond. I thought. I think, uh, you know, we know how good Aza Wilson's been defensively, but I think he is Stokes, really an unsung hero. Uh, kind of since he's entered the starting lineup. I don't believe they've lost with her as a starter. She totally understands uh, her role on the glass, both offensively and defensively, and just is in the right spots and in the right places in the right time. And, and that goes to show you, even though the Aces you know, may not have some of the size that maybe a Connecticut has or a Washington or some of the other teams, like if you're in sync and you're, you know, on, you know, you're rotating in time and helping appropriately and recovering in time and talking on that end of the floor, uh, that you can make life really, really difficult. So, of course, you expect, um, you know, the better teams, I'm presuming the Aces get through Phoenix, and I think they will on Saturday, the better teams are going you know, to be able to score against the Aces defensively. There's no question about it. But I don't think you need to be necessarily spectacular on that end, given how good they are offensively. You just got to get stops when it counts, and they've shown that they've been able to do that, not, not just on Wednesday, but let down the stretch as well of the regular season. Seattle helped them out a little last night, didn't they? Yeah, they certainly did. And I think um, there's a team that the Aces probably don't want to see uh, it's Washington, of course. They Washington swept the season series, uh, and then took three or four uh, from the Aces in 2019 in the, in, the, in the semifinals. I think that's six of seven, and it may even be more than that when Elena Deladon plays, and you know, just a, a really veteran basketball team that knows how to play um, the Aces really well. Of course, that four or five matchup. I mean, the game goes right down to the wire yesterday. Uh, absolutely fantastic game. Really, really compelling. I think either way, whether it's Washington or Seattle, that's a tough break, a tough draw. 
um, for the Aces uh, in that regard. Uh, but they'd rather see Seattle. I don't think Seattle's quite as good defensively as Washington. It's still going to be a tough matchup if that's the way it goes. Uh, but, but Washington better defensively. Seattle might be a little bit better offensively. But the Aces, as we know, are more than comfortable engaging uh, in shootouts. And uh, that's, I think that's definitely they'd rather see the, the Storm than the Mystics if they have the choice. What do you think of the first-round playoff format where the, home, or the higher seed gets the first two games, but if it does go to a deciding game three, that it is at the lower seed's home venue? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like going back to the series thing um, overall as opposed to the single elimination. That felt a little wonky. Um, but with that said, it, it does feel a little bizarre that you work all season to, you know, to have a better record and then in a potential elimination deciding game, if it goes to a game three, uh, that the better seed is on the road. Look, I get it from the league perspective. We know about the travel and we know about kind of the issues that they've had funding travel and whatnot. And I apologize that there's a plane flying right over oh, me. Oh, it's the best part. Um, <laughs> best thing. As I make my way over to, to UNLV football practice. Uh, but, yeah, I, I just think if you're like a Chicago, right, you're the defending champs, you go 26-10, and 10, and because you slip up once, now you've got to go on the road and play a do-or-die game uh, at New York. I, I like the series, but that feels a little – uh, a, a little tough. It's a tough break um, for for the higher seeds if they if they lose one of those those first two games. Speaking of which, you're headed over to UNLV football practice. Is he ever going to name a starting quarterback? Uh, that's. I mean, hey, maybe we'll find out today. Um, <laughs> I, I, that's that's the, the been the billion dollar question and kind of the main storyline as it as it feels like every year with UNLV football, right? I mean, it feels like it's been quite some time since there's been stability at starting quarterback, uh, given that you have a couple guys with. A few years of eligibility, maybe this is a chance to really develop. I mean, there's another one, guys. I, I really apologize. Um, <laughs> They're taking off, Sandy. You know how it is over here for whatever reason, a lot of plays. But um, if this, this, is, this feels like an opportunity for Marcus Arroyo and the program as a whole to develop some continuity. You have a starter. You know, you pick a starter. Maybe that's the guy for the next two or three years and really allows you to kind of build some stability as, as he looks to build a contender here in the Mountain West. All right, Sam. Enjoy the airplanes. Find out who the starting quarterback is. We appreciate it. I right, appreciate it, guys. Thank you guys for having me on, and I'll get any updates over as, uh, as soon as I can. Thank sure. you. Sure. Sam Gordon from the Review Journal out there counting planes. Yeah. <laughs> I was out there the other day, and he's right. I was out there the other day doing a, um, something on UNLV football. It's every two minutes. Oh, yeah. It, it's every two minutes. It's almost like, how do they practice in this thing? Yeah. Uh, having having classes there at 8 a.m., and you got planes flying over for an hour, it's, it's annoying. And it's uh, the where, like on UNLV's campus, you have the football facility, mm-hmm. and then just above that is the baseball field. Right, right? right. To the left of it is track and field, and then if you keep going is the softball. soccer field. And oh, so- so- softball, soccer. softball, yeah, and softball and is over and there, tennis. too. Like, all of their sports are right in this flight yes. path. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, Other unless, than the Mendenhall Center. Right, unless you play basketball. At that school, if you're practicing for a sport, you, you will have, have planes it. flying over your head all day. There are planes in your Did you miss co- Back to the Press Box Summer Edition? couple of notes for you. You can hear tonight right here on ESPN Las Vegas, UNLV play the University of Fraser Valley as a part of their Canadian exhibition games. This is the final game they're playing in Canada. So you can hear that right here at 7 o'clock on ESPN Las Vegas. Tomorrow at 6 o'clock, you can hear the Aces and Mercury in game two, also right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Also, Cofield and Company, uh, they are out at the Golden Circle Sportsbook every Friday. So head out to Treasure Island and check out Cofield and Company from 3 to 6 p.m. They're out there every Friday. Uh, now, um, I have a, uh, I don't know if it's a story yet, but I have something for you that I think you'll find interesting. <laughs> um, about a year ago, 
we had a new couple move in, a new family move in, like a couple houses down from us. And we have like seen them when we're out walking our dog uh, pretty regularly. Like they're out, they've got a kid or whatever, and they go for walks and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, they invited us over to their house for dinner. After a year? Yeah. Well, COVID and stuff. They moved in during COVID at some point. That I'm not going to that. No? no? I don't know people in my neighborhood. You know I don't like people. Yeah, I don't usually either. But I'm actually <laughs> excited to go over. You are? Yeah, they seem great. I like I'm, these people. I'm surprised you're willing to go since they have a kid. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, a that's scary. right. What, what happens when they introduce you to the kid? Are you going to be every time I've it? seen every time I've seen the kid, the kid has not made a noise. So what happens Ooh. when they come up to you and ask you to come play with them? Uh, what if the g- kid asks you, like, "Do you want to see my room?" Ooh. Are you going to sit there it's and flat out say no? Eh, probably not. No, you got to go see the room. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go see the room. Yeah, but, and he uh, wants you to sit down and play a game with him. Yeah. Oh, it's going to get worse and worse. Yeah, well, like. Like you, I don't know any of my neighbors. No. no not no, no, not no, a no. single one. And like growing up in Mississippi, we somewhat knew most of our neighbors, right? Like I, I played with kids that lived across the street from me until we moved to a different neighborhood. But like I played with kids that lived across the street from me for years that were my neighbors. I don't I don't even see kids in my neighborhood. Like No, we we have like teenagers in our neighborhood, high school kids. Yeah. That are already driving, so I know that they're not little kids. (laughs) I think that might be a regional thing. Because I I noticed that when I moved out here. That's a good point. Because I moved from the East Coast and like I knew everybody in my entire neighborhood. And like our my parents and all their parents hung out, all the kids hung out, we all played together. I moved out here in high school and nobody comes outside before eight o'clock because it's so hot. <laughs> like I spent the my entire first summer inside because it was a hundred degrees and then at like six thirty, seven o'clock I would go to the basketball court for an hour. I do think the lack of yards yes. is a is a big difference. Because like a lot of in, rocks. in Mississippi, he granted he wasn't my neighbor. I had to somebody had to drive me or I had to drive to his house when I got older. But like my best friend, we played like pickup football in his front yard. It was that big of a yard. All the time. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, and it wasn't even that big for Mississippi. It was a pretty small yard for people in Mississippi. But, like, yeah, we played pickup football in that his makes front sense. yard all the time. There's not but, many of those around But here, here I'm trying uh, to think. In, like, in my neighborhood, we've got, you know, pretty nice little, like, grassy areas you can walk your dog to or whatever. Yes. I guess you could play there, but, yeah. You They're not that big. It's not like, hey, just go over to your parent, go over to your friend's house and just no. play in their yard. You've got to go somewhere well the, the neighborhood i live in there's a there's a school next to the neighborhood and behind the school there's a park and it's got a big grass field probably the size of like our whole lot here at work wait do you live in my neighborhood i don't know maybe <laughs> that's the exact same thing we have but like they're they're closing down the grass area and they're replacing the entire thing with rocks because uh, of the water shortage like it's oh, it's it's a field that's probably the size of i'd say 50 to 60 yards and they're replacing the entire thing with rocks. Our our field's much bigger. It has a base, two baseball fields, huge soccer field. It's pretty, but it's right in between a elementary school and a junior high. Oh, okay, I think I know where you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I don't. Yeah, no, I don't. Well, you know me and people. Man, so now you have me worried because we have a park right outside our neighborhood, and there's a big grassy area, and it's probably like for your dogs, a hundred yards. Like well, it's our, like the size of a football field. Our HOA is doing it. It's not the county oh, or the, so, okay. the city. This our park, HOA. Yeah. So this park is outside of our neighborhood, so it's not HOA controlled. Well, okay. our, the HOA controls like, because our neighborhood is a cluster of like three or four that are all owned by the same HOA. Okay. And they're taking out the grass and putting rocks in. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm well, not as worried now. Cause when's the big dinner? 
Well, we don't have a date yet. They kind of, they at first wanted to do it this weekend, but I don't think we're going to be able to do it this weekend. But yeah, at some point, I'm just glad we're going to their house because we can't cook. Which also is let's a little. You guys are making me more worried than I thought I should be about this. We're going to have to bring something, right? Just go to the store bottle and bring like a pie or yeah, a bottle of wine. Bottle or of wine that okay. always gets it through. Always gets it through. Yeah, always okay. gets it through. I mean, I don't mind. go to dinners at people's homes, but I heard it's. I heard it's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> I don't want to go to. I don't want to go to anybody's house for dinner. Crazy. <laughs> Maybe you should go meet your no, neighbors. No, they're not. And that's the thing with me. They're not going to invite me anyway because I'm like I told you. I'm closed to the garage door. I'm closed garage door guy. It is closed before, and my wife gets mad at me because sometimes it's closed before the engine's off. <laughs> It's like, no, you have to turn the engine off before you close the garage door. Oh, yeah. I I get in there I fast. I mean, so do we. But, again, we've, we've only seen these people. Like, we walk our dogs and we walk past their house and they're also walking or sometimes they're outside doing something. Are they your age? Uh, yeah. They might be a little older. No, they're probably about our How age. How old's the kid? It's like, I'm bad at this. I mean, uh, is it a baby or is it, like, old enough to How work? small four or is five. the kid? Oh, four okay. or five. Okay. All right. Okay. Oh, he's... Is it a boy or a girl? It's a boy. Okay. He's for sure asking you to come see his room. Yeah, that's a big deal to the four or five-year-olds. Yeah. Okay. I'll go yeah. see his room. That's fine. I'll I'll play like a sport with him, and they'll end up crying, and we won't get invited back. But You're going to make a four-year-old cry? Oh, guaranteed. If he if we, if we he's like, hey, throw this football with me, oh, he's going to get hit in the face. What? Huh? I'm going to throw it. He's not going to be able to catch it. I almost did that with my sister's kid. Kid's like four. This kid might be older than four. He looks older than my sister's kid. How tall is he? Like about. Oh, I got no idea. Like, is oh, he no, taller than that? that close attention. Is he's he, not paying He's not much. taller than that. You don't know? You're just pointing at things and saying that. <laughs> well, I'm saying, I'm saying like the wooden panel. Because uh, you could gauge like Steve Krill and Anchorman. Lamp. <laughs> chair. I do, not, I do not know how tall this I've kid is. I've never seen Anchorman, so I don't yeah. know. Oh. I've Come seen on. that movie. Wow, I've seen a Come movie on. that he hasn't. That's amazing. I'm not Impressive. a Will Ferrell fan outside of Talladega Nights. Okay. God, That's you're weird, Danny. You're weird. Go ahead and bet it. 